0: Ted Bohork is here with News Talk KZRG. Welcome to this week's episode of Plot Summary. This is where I take all of the stuff that me, Peter, and Steve discussed this week on the Morning News Watch, and I summarize it into a nice little 30 minutes or so plot summary of what was going on this week. We're going to jump right into it with Trump. If you remember last week, the Trump indictment was officially handed down, but unfortunately, we got little to no information on what was going on. Now we do have information about what's going on. The indictment was unsealed in court this week. On Tuesday, Trump has been charged with 34 counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. And basically what happened was, supposedly, during the 2016 presidential campaign election for former President Donald Trump, Trump's campaign went out and found all these people that had dirt on him, or supposed dirt, Stormy Daniels being one of them, and... Trump went ahead and bribed these individuals to keep quiet about it and not to go to the media and to deny it and all this good stuff. So obviously Trump couldn't pay these individuals off in his own bank account while he was running for president because that stuff becomes public record. So as the story goes, his lawyer, Michael Cohen, actually went ahead and paid Stormy Daniels about $130,000, somewhere in there. And then after the election, Donald Trump went ahead and slowly paid that money back to Michael Cohen as a reimbursement, so to speak, under basically fake reasons. Like, So instead of saying, hey, Michael Cohen, here's $50,000 for that one time you bribed someone to not speak. Instead of writing that in the bank statement, what he wrote was for personal legal services or for uh, your personal insight on X and Y. He made up fake reasons to send this money to Cohen. When in reality, it was a reimbursement for this supposed catch-and-kill sort of scheme that Trump may or may not have been running during the 2016 campaign. Catch-and-kill being catch these bad stories about him, bribe people to not tell them, thus killing them, right? Not the people, but the story, the, you know, catch-and-kill, there you go. That's how the story goes. And what the indictment is, is Trump supposedly sent 34 individual payments to Cohen to reimburse the Stormy Daniels payoff payment, essentially. Now, this week, former President Donald Trump pleaded not guilty to the charges brought by the Manhattan grand jury on Tuesday afternoon. And right after that court hearing, he went right back out to campaigning. So, so far, you know, it's kind of working out for him a little bit, just a little bit. And the other important thing that came out about this is that the judge did not impose a gag order, which a lot of people were expecting him to do. Now, it's important to note that a lot of um, a lot of the media and a lot of uh, individual thinkers, they've all posited a couple of ideas of probable legal defenses here. Number one, statute of limitations. Uh, This affair supposedly took place not during the 2016 campaign, but in like the early 2000s. So we're, we're like 20 years out from when this supposedly took place. I think it was like 2003 or 2004. So statute of limitations. Does that apply? Number two. Did Stormy Daniels sign any document, like an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, agreeing legally that she won't discuss it? She then went out to the media and, you know, outed him for it. Did she, you know, is that something they could legally pursue? Option C, entrapment. Is this maybe tra- entrapment? Some people were thinking that maybe, perhaps, Trump's legal defense could use that in some way or another. But ultimately, everyone agrees, everyone that understands what's happening agrees, even on the left, that this is not a very good case. And what I mean by that is it's not built on very solid ground. It's built on sand. The, the, uh, the charges, all 34 of them, are basically the same thing except slightly reworded. So that way they have to go through each individual one. But most legal experts, left and right of the spectrum, agree that this, this case doesn't really hold a lot of water. And it's likely used more than anything as a publicity ploy, while also forcing Trump to spend more money, resources, time, energy, and focus on not running for president. They think it might be some sort of diversion thing. That's possible. It is possible. This might slow Trump Trump's roll down, for sure. But many others actually think this might speed him up. Lee Zeldin, he said that he thinks it might actually propel his career forward, and a lot of people are thinking this might be turning Trump into a bit of a martyr. But as John Stewart, the left-wing thinker, pointed out, the law's law. The law doesn't consider how popular or unpopular you are. The law doesn't consider if it will or will not turn someone into a martyr. If he broke the law, he broke the law. There are rules. You got to hold them up. A lot of arguments on either side, but. Ultimately, this is about sort of the supposed catch-and-kill system that Trump's team was uh, working with during the 2016 election. Something else that came out during this whole indictment thing with Trump, with, again, specifically the catch-and-kill system here, is Trump's secret child, quote-unquote. As the story goes... This is what Alvin Bragg, who is the district attorney that is indicting former President Donald Trump in an unprecedented move. Alvin Bragg said Trump, the Trump team supposedly paid a doorman to the Trump Tower. He paid this doorman $30,000 because the doorman knew that Trump had a child out of wedlock. (laughs) This doorman went out to the basically to the media and said, hey, I worked at Trump Tower. He had some chicks come over and all of a sudden this baby started showing up. So that was sort of his, like, angle. Now, in the indictment, Alvin Bragg mentioned this. He actually called Trump out and said, yeah, this doorman was paid $30,000 to keep quiet about uh, a child out of wedlock. And the way he framed it made it seem like Trump did, in fact, have a child out of wedlock. While part of the story is true that Alvin Bragg had painted to the American people, it's not the full truth. Because Bragg's own findings show that the story is not true. Trump did not have a child out of wedlock. In fact, Trump's media team, AMI, also, also found that it was not a true story. In Bragg's statement of facts, which Bragg's team, Alvin Bragg's team, actually wrote, it said, quote, When AMI later concluded that the story, the doorman and the baby story, was not true, the AMI CEO wanted to release the doorman from the agreement. The agreement being an NDA, we will pay you $30,000, don't talk. However, Lawyer A instructed the AMI CEO not to release the doorman until after the presidential election. And the AMI CEO complied with that instruction because of his agreement with the defendant and Lawyer A, end quote. Alvin Bragg's own team found that. They found that not only is the story not true, but Trump's team also knew it was not true. And they went ahead and capped this doorman on these, uh, this NDA for $30,000 agreement, just to be sure. So, arguably, Alvin Bragg's team is spreading fake news. Misleading news. Fake news and misleading news. Go ahead and pop a, a, a Twitter tag on that. Fake misleading. Twitter's big on that, on conservatives, but not so much on uh, lefties. But, yeah. Fake news being spread by Alvin Bragg. Nice. By the way, speaking of Twitter and popping fake tag uh, things on stuff, now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, there's been uh, a a lot of change going on, a lot different for the better, perhaps, one could hope. Well, here's a promising sign that Elon Musk is changing Twitter for the better. This Tuesday of this week, Twitter added a tag onto NPR's social media account. And that tag was, quote, U.S. state-affiliated media, end quote. That is the label that is now stamped onto NPR, on Twitter anyway. That label now appears on the top of every single one of their tweets. Now, the social media site Twitter defended that label because they define state-affiliated media as, quote, "...outlets where the state exercises control over editorial content through financial resources, direct or indirect political pressures, and or control over production and distribution." End quote. NPR does fit that. They also fit state-affiliated media in a more colloquial, more casual sense of it, in the sense that they seem to propagate really specific viewpoints and very specific narratives that uh, aligned pretty much perfectly in lockstep with Biden's narrative. So, seems pretty state-affiliated to me. And apparently it also seemed that way to Elon Musk and the entire Twitter board and team, because they went ahead and popped that label on. And by the way, NPR has not actually spoken out against it. They have actually not quite yet denied that they're state-affiliated, and this happened on Tuesday. So, what does that tell you? Hmm. The, uh, the Biden administration was not super, super busy this week, but they did do a lot of work in the environment sector this week, especially in terms of uh, political conversation. The Biden administration is planning to kick down carbon emissions even more by setting new limits on gas cars. So there was a lot of conversation this week. Peter touched on it very, very hard about this, quote-unquote, war against fossil fuels that Biden seems to be engaging in. The proposed rules from the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, Biden's Environmental Protection Agency, those new rules are expected to implement stricter regulations on carbon dioxide, nitrogen oxide, and more for vehicles with model years between 2027 and 2032. Essentially, they're going to put on a whole lot of uh, really strict, really specific Rules on very specific chemicals and the output of them and gases and whatnot for cars that will be made in the future, which would likely ensure that their price will most certainly go up. Not that brand new, you know, edge of technology vehicles because they weren't expensive enough. We're going to go ahead and make them a little bit more. The administration announced this uh, because they are working on transitioning the economy towards a net-zero carbon emission by 2050. And according to Biden's team, this is a top priority, is to make not the U.S. net-zero, but specifically the economy. Very interesting. Kind of sounds like he's trying to take it over a little bit. Some people were talking about that. That seems like rhetoric to hijack the economy under this guise of, uh, of uh, you know, whatever, the environment. Now, it's important to note that the EPA also is set to propose even stricter rules on heavy-duty vehicles specifically, as well as on power plants later in April. Back in March, the EPA proposed rules that would heavily limit smog-producing nitrous oxide emissions by power plants, which, by the way, are conveniently, for his voters, primarily located in the Midwest and not in any major city or the coastal states almost at all. So that's nice and convenient for, you know, everybody the last sort of political thing we have, specifically with politicians, Stacey Abrams. We discussed her quite a bit this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. Two-time failed Georgia gubernatorial candidate, Stacey Abrams. She's a Democrat, by the way, gubernatorial. I don't know if it was William Shakespeare or what mad lad came up with that word, but it's a solid one. Stacey Abrams is a Democrat. She ran for governor of Georgia twice, failed twice. She was the one that famously said, uh, you know, was... A proponent of the conspiracy theory that when uh, women get that little like scan of their their baby when they're pregnant, the uh, heartbeat sound that comes from those scans is a made up sound that isn't real. She was a proponent of that conspiracy theory, which was shot down by almost the entire medical field. So that was hilarious. Well, she might be hanging up the hat politically because she got herself a brand new cushy little job. She will now be serving as Howard University's inaugural Ronald W. Walters Endowed Chair for Race and Black Politics. Now, let's break down what all of this means. Her official role is the chair for race and black politics, which are two very different things. Race is just race, right? I mean, I'm half Mexican. I'm not a politician, but I am still that race as opposed to black politics, is a specific subsect of a specific topic. Politics, right? You can be in ethnicity and not in politics. So it's a very broad catch-all. Endowed chair, what does that mean? Well, that means that, more or less, this position was not a position that was needed, and then they found her to fill the role. This was a position that was actually made specifically for her. They wanted her on campus. They wanted her to be part of their university. And so they created a role for her. That's what endowed chair means. It was given to her. It was made for her. Which is crazy. Ronald W. Walters was a historical black figure who was one of the uh, individuals to organize the first sit-ins back in the 60s. Back when uh, individuals would, would stage these events where they would go to diners that were segregated. And they would just sit in at these diners to exercise their rights to go in and sit at these diners. Now, people from the South and people that were not with the Civil Rights Movement, they called these individuals rabble-rousers. People that were with the Civil Rights Movement called them freedom fighters. They, they would go in and they would stage these sit-ins at restaurants and schools and all that good stuff. Ronald W. Walters was one of the first individuals to organize all that. Howard University, obviously very left-leaning school. So here we have it. Stacey Abrams is Howard University's inaugural Ronald W. Walters, endowed chair for race and black politics. Nice little breakdown for you. And by the way, her paycheck for this position, a lot. She's getting a lot of money for this. So, man, you know what? Don't hate the player, hate the game. I would take that paycheck any day of the week. Switching gears away from politics for a little bit here. Not too long ago, there was that awful, awful shooting at a Nashville Christian school where six individuals were murdered, seven people were killed in total, three students, three faculty members of the school, and the shooter themselves. Seven people dead. Well, we have some new information that came out this week about that awful, awful incident. Aubrey Hale was the shooter. And after investigations, it has been revealed that Aubrey Hale fired 152 rounds in her 14-minute assault on the elementary school. From start to finish, she was in there delivering death for 14 minutes. Something else they came out this week about that shooting was that this was not a random act of violence. This was very meticulously planned. This individual, the shooter, they had planned this for months. And the evidence suggesting that are the writings that were found in the shooter's car and bedroom. It was filled with essentially manifestos, scribblings, and through a series of notebooks discussing how they wanted to shoot up a school, how they wanted to die and hurt others. It was also found that this person was targeting three elementary schools, but wasn't sure which one to choose. Ultimately, they ended up choosing the one they chose, but they were looking for a school to shoot up. They just didn't know which one, which one would be the the good school to shoot up. Well... Guess what? No school is a good school to shoot up, but this individual chose this one. It was also revealed in their writings that they were actually inspired by other shooters to engage in this act of violence. And in my opinion, this shows a little bit of responsibility needs to be put on the media. Uh, it has been, studies have shown that copycat crimes are a very serious problem. And by glorifying certain shooters and certain crime, it might actually encourage others And this Aubrey Hale may be a very strong point of evidence to suggest that very statement. Because they themselves said they were inspired by other shooters and their actions. It's awful. Another thing that's important to note is this individual was, in fact, trans. Um, There's still a lot of confusion, and I'm going to be frank, I'm still confused as to which way trans they are. (laughs) Nobody seems to have that answer yet of, was this Aubrey Hale born a woman and transition to male or vice versa because to this day depending on which news outlet you go to there are conflicting reports still about whether this person was biologically male or biologically female and the reason I'm bringing this up is because another thing that was discussed this week on the morning news watch at news talk KZRG was a trans study that came out this week now this individual that shot up the school was not a teenager this was a grown adult So keep that in mind. But there was a study done on trans teens that I think does kind of play hand in hand in this, which is why I'm sort of pairing these two up. The study suggests that the mental health rates of trans teens plummeted after the transition. Not before, but after. If an individual doesn't feel comfortable in their own skin, they feel like they were born in the wrong uh, gender, the wrong body, the left will have you think once they transition to the preferred gender, and they do what's called bottom surgery, which is where they either remove their male genitalia or their female genitalia. Once they do bottom surgery, the left will have you think that their mental health uh, skyrockets, that it's, it's really solid. Unfortunately, that's not the result of this study, which is incredibly surprising because that's what they would have you think. Now, some argue that their mental health plummets not because of the surgery, but because of the way society treats them. While others argue that this is because transitioning was never the solution to their problems. The study did not suggest why their mental health rates plummeted after transitioning. It simply suggested that it did plummet after transitioning, which is still very rough. And the other super interesting aspect of this study was uh, kind of counterintuitive to what the media will have you believe. Not just the left, not just the right, the media as a whole. One surprising element of the study was the disparity, and I I am going to use that word, the disparity in the gender divide. Uh, It sounds like fancy speak, but basically male to female transgender cases, like the individual that was a a male swimmer and and then transitioned to female and then joined the female swimming team and then just dominated, in addition to like various drag queen performers and stuff like that, they actually receive an inaccurate lion's share of media attention. This study found that female to male transitions people that are born female and transition into being a boy those transitions are far far more common than boys transitioning into females. In fact roughly 75% of all transitions are from biological females transitioning into boys. 75% of all transition cases are girls who want to be boys. Which, which is not intuitive to what, the, to what the media as a whole will have you believe because the media highlights all of these boys transitioning into girls and wearing you know, girl clothes and makeup and all that stuff. That's what the media showcases. They don't really showcase how many girls are transitioning into boys. And as it turns out, 75% of all transition cases, according to the study, are biological females turning into girls. It's crazy. It's crazy. I I mean, you would never have uh, guessed that based off of the media appearance. And what's interesting is that this suggests that young girls tend to be much more susceptible to the suggestion of groupthink than boys. That is not my conclusion. That is the conclusion of this study, uh, like formally. That's what the study had, had concluded. Now, there's something to say for that. Uh, I mean, if you just as a living, breathing person, you can see uh, self-harm rates... Depression rates within young teenage girls are much higher than boys, especially with the advent of social media. If you look at the work of Jonathan Hadditt, he wrote this phenomenal book, The Coddling of the American Mind. I suggest it to everyone. That is my opinion. And he showcases that groupthink among women, specifically teenage girls, and they're, uh, they're much more susceptible to it. Because females, teenage girls, are way more social than teenage boys are. And they take much more social cues than boys do because, let's face it, as a boy, boys are kind of dumb, man. (laughs) They don't really care. They just want to go burn army guys and do backflips. Like, they don't really care. But women are much more sociable. And their social standing is way more important to their mental health and their day-to-day than it is to boys. And so this one study is suggesting that perhaps this is more direct evidence that being in the social in-crowd, which right now the social in-crowd is – LGBTQIA+, and trans. And so they think maybe women are sort of falling, quote-unquote, prey to this sort of what some deem social contagion and are transitioning at a much, much higher rate than boys are. Very interesting. Very interesting study. Internationally, there was some international news going on this week, primarily with China. The CCP, the Chinese Communist Party... Well, I don't know if you remember, but not too long ago, the Chinese spy balloon that uh, accidentally, quote unquote, drifted over the continental United States accidentally, quote unquote, drifted directly over several military bases. The balloon that accidentally had a bunch of camera equipment on it. Whoops, how did that happen? Who knows? Yeah, that balloon. The Chinese said it was a weather balloon that they lost control of. Uh, yeah, 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 blah, blah. We all know that's not true. Well, it was revealed this week that that very Chinese spy balloon. did collect intelligence from several sensitive American military sites and actively transmitted the information back to Beijing in real time. (laughs) Which, Duh. If you remember when that was happening, the Biden administration did not shoot down that balloon. They allowed it to traverse the entire United States until shooting it down off the coast of the Carolinas. Now, I was personally... When this was going on, I had said on the Morning News Watch that I agreed with Biden, that he should not shoot it down until it was over the ocean. Biden's argument was that he didn't want it to land in a populated area. He didn't want it to land on people's homes or in the middle of the highway while people are driving or on businesses. And I agreed with him. I 100% did agree with him at the time because, yeah, we can't be shooting stuff down over, over small towns in the U.S., And then if they fall down like a meteorite and crash the Smith's home, and then we just say, whoopsie, sorry, like, no, dude, we got to be careful. We have to protect our citizens first. And I still stand with that point. Now, what Biden had also said at the time that I did not agree with was that he will shoot it down before it gets back to China's hands and before they actually collect the data. Now, I didn't agree with him in that point because guess what? Joe Biden may be living in the 70s, but this is 2023. Data can be transmitted in real time very easily, very effectively, and very inexpensively. There was no thought in my mind for even a moment that the pictures and the radio frequencies and all the data being collected, there was never a thought, there was never a moment in my mind where I didn't think that was being transmitted live to the Chinese. As that balloon was flying, the Chinese were looking at a computer screen and looking at all the data in real time. 100% that was happening. And it was revealed this week. That's correct. That is no longer an assumption, no longer a theory. It has now been proven that the Chinese were getting that data in real time, which is very unfortunate because what that means is it Biden shooting the balloon down doesn't matter. He didn't even have to shoot the balloon down because they already had the data. The balloon was now useless to the Chinese, other than maybe they could have used it again, but whatever. I mean, those balloons are probably pretty inexpensive to make, frankly, especially for the Chinese. So they didn't care if we shot it down, which is a huge shame, because as everybody pretty much in the United States now agrees, Biden should have shot the balloon down before it entered the United States, not after. But he chose not to. Now, it was also revealed that the intelligence China collected mostly came from electronic signals. So a lot of people were saying, well, like, why would why do you want to balloon over these military sites? Don't we have satellites that they can you know, take pictures of our bases and whatnot? That is true. They do have satellites that they can take pictures of our military bases. Yes, China has that. So does Russia. So does England. The French are spying on us for crying out loud. Every nation in the world now has satellites in space taking pictures of everybody else's land. That's nothing new. But what is new is they were actually able to collect electronic signals. I'm talking radio waves. I'm talking data sharing. I'm talking emails. All of that. And it may have also collected signals that were emitted from weapon systems and communications by personnel through various bases, specifically. Now, where that's scary is, the Chinese may now have a little look below the hood on how our weapons systems work. Specifically, if they wanted to v- develop some sort of EMP, uh, which is an electromagnetic pulse, which shuts down all electronic devices, well, our weapon systems are built specifically to counteract that. We have built a little shield around them, so if we do get hit with an EMP that shuts down you and I's electricity, you and I's cell phone, you and I's computer, it would not shut down the U.S. military's defensive systems. The, those defense systems are protected by several lines of code and several lines of hardware. The Chinese may have now a little look at to what that code is and what that hardware is. They may now be able to use that to reverse engineer it and pinpoint weak points, in which case they could be able to sort of shut down weapon systems, in theory, which is scary. And so there was also a lot of talk this week about, well, how much data could they have gotten? You know, the thing was up in the sky, it was just flying over, whatever. Well, the U.S. released a, a, what they think is a, a pretty darn accurate fly, flight pattern of this balloon And uh, what it showcases is that this balloon flew in figure eight patterns over military bases to ensure maximum collection. These things were hanging out over the military bases. So, yeah, they were probably getting pretty accurate information, which is not great. Now, obviously, people were very up in arms about this, not just the citizenry, but also the politicians. For instance, Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio, he slammed the White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby for having previously claimed that the Chinese spy balloon was not collecting surveillance. The White House was trying to hide this from the American people. Like I had said earlier, the Biden administration, and this is, no, again, no longer a conspiracy theory or just a thought, we have proof now that the Biden administration actively knew that this spy balloon was going to be entering the United States. We were tracking it long before it entered over this nation. They knew where it was at all times, and they chose not to shoot it down. Then Biden's National Security Council spokesman said, lied to the American people, saying that the balloon was not collecting surveillance. When we now know that the Biden administration absolutely knew that it was collecting surveillance information. It was conducting surveillance detail. We know that because of a little something called freedom of information. And we have written record of them communicating, saying, yeah, this is a spy balloon. They were telling themselves that. The in, the intelligence community was informing Biden of that, and then Biden went and told everyone, "No, they're not conducting surveillance." Which my question personally is, why lie? I, I mean, I mean, why cover for the Chinese? Like, why not be like, "Yeah, they're conducting surveillance." That's no skin off of Biden's back. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Biden is is the one that like commissioned the balloon. That's not going to make Biden look bad. It's going to make the Chinese Communist Party look bad. Why does Biden care if the Chinese Communist Party looks bad? They're an adversarial nation. Doesn't make any sense. Now, the funny thing, too, is that Biden team said, well, actually, we never really said that, um, you know, it wasn't conducting surveillance. And then somebody went up and pulled up the receipts and went, well, actually, yes, you did. Here it is. Uh, John Kirby <laughs> had said, quote, there's no specific reason to believe that the balloon was conducting surveillance. And the balloon was probably for benign purposes like weather collection. <laughs> <That's what> they <laughs> <laughs> they're on record saying that. And so of course Marco Rubio pulled that up and you know John Kirby went ah whoopsie Marco Rubio also said quote I have never heard from anyone in the intelligence community this was for benign purposes if for benign purposes then why don't we see more of them flying around if they were for benign purposes there would have been no reason for them to notify us ahead of time <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean this is so clearly not just a weather balloon and the Biden team was, like, just really, really trying to convince everyone it was, very unsuccessfully. Sort of like when you hold up a, a cat, if you were to have a cat and hold it up, and, and they go, this is a dog. And everyone goes, no, it's not. They're like, no, no, look, it's a dog. It's got four legs and a tail and, uh, you know, it has fur. It's, it's a dog. Everyone goes, what? no, it isn't, dude. What are you talking about? It's not a dog. And the Biden team goes, yes, it is, man. It's a dog. It's a, Don't worry about it. It's a dog i mean that's what they were trying to do with this like everyone very clearly with their own two eyes saw that this was collecting surveillance that this was a spy balloon and the biden team was desperately trying to say it wasn't for no reason i mean there was no reason to lie to the public about this it made no sense and by the way if you think that this is a a, a democrat or left stance to take on the chinese communist party on lying to the american people about what the chinese communist party are doing It's actually not a left or Democratic stance to take. It's a Biden stance to take. Something else we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG was how connected Democrats and Republicans are on standing up against the Chinese Communist Party, specifically that issue. The Democrats do not like what the Chinese Communist Party are doing. They're very anti, and it's actually one of the very, very few things that Republicans and Democrats in both the Senate and the House fully agree on is that we need to stop the Chinese Communist Party. Both parties completely agree on that. Both parties do not agree on that when it comes to Russia. Uh, like clearly, the Ukraine war is clearly divided on political lines. But there is absolute togetherness on the the issue of the Chinese Communist Party. Everyone's on the same page except the Biden administration specifically, Team Biden. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall of Texas This week, he compared the Chinese Communist Party chairman, Xi Jinping, specifically to Adolf Hitler, (laughs) which is ballsy to do. And not only that, he did it during a surprise visit to Taiwan, which is hilarious to do. McCall visited the island democracy along with Republican representatives Young Kim of California, French Hill of Arkansas, and and several other representatives from Pennsylvania, from New York, from a couple more from, from Texas, And the point I'm bringing this up is because he was not just joined by Republicans, but he was also joined by Democratic representatives, such as Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania, Amy Barra of California, so on and so forth. Democrats and Republicans actually sat on the same plane together. They had coffee together. And Republicans looked across the aisle at the Democrats and said, Democrats, you are right. We need to stop the Chinese Communist Party. And the Democrats looked across the aisle at the Republicans and said, Republicans, you are right. We do need to stop the Chinese Communist Party. That's how connected we are getting on this issue. Again, everyone but Joe Biden. What is Joe Biden hiding? What is he doing with them? It doesn't make sense. But yeah, Democrats and Republicans all did a surprise secret visit to Taiwan. It was a secret until they got there. Once they got to Taiwan, it was a big show to show the Chinese Communist Party that we're going to be hanging out with the Taiwanese for a while here. Um, The delegation, like I said, not previously announced until it would touch down. And while those re- and while those representatives were in Taiwan meeting with the Taiwanese officials, Taiwan's president simultaneously made a visit to the US and met with Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. There's a lot, a lot of sharing and friendship between Democrats, Republicans and the Taiwanese government right now, all in the name of standing up against the Chinese Communist Party. To me, I think this is sort of a beautiful sight. I'm glad to see that we're actually able to come together in a time of existential threat from being nuked by the Chinese Communist Party. Now, it's important to note that what we had staged with going to Taiwan and vice versa did not come, um, was not unanswered. The Chinese did, this did provoke uh, a military response from China. They, uh, in, in response to this, China had deployed an aircraft carrier directly off of Taiwan's southern coast. Uh, And they just sort of parked their boat there to be like, yeah, we're ready. We're ready to mess you up, which is very scary. But as Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy had said, quote, not very often does the world see Republicans and Democrats standing together on one issue. One thing I would take pride in as an American, you're watching your lawmakers stand together with both parties advocating greater democracy with a plan to help better any chance of war in the future, end quote. I agree with Kevin McCarthy. Democrats and Republicans are very much so standing together on this issue. But the Biden administration is not. The Biden administration is lying actively and being caught lying is the other thing. They're not even doing it well to the American people about what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. They lied about the weather balloon. They lied about uh, spies within the United States government. They're lying about this. But the Democrats and the Republicans aren't. What is going on, Biden? Why are you not only defending them, not only are you defending the Chinese Communist Party, you're lying for them. <laughs> um, Little suspicious, personally, in my opinion. Well, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much everything we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. Be sure to tune in next week on FM 102.9, 105.9, AM 1310, and on your smart speaker, News Talk, KZRG. We also, this week, we did our first little meet and greet, me, Peter, Steve, and I, all four of us, me and I. Look at that. I count as two people. I would count myself as two. We all, uh, we all met at the Undercliff Bar and Grill this week over in Tipton Ford and did a nice little meet and greet with all of our listeners and, and fans and individuals that had a lot to say. And I got to say, it was, it was a really good time. Uh, most of it was us just listening to hear what you have to say. You know, the, the crazy thing about radio is that you are able to hear us not only discuss the news and discuss our thoughts on it, but the downside to it is that we can't hear you. We can't hear your thoughts and everything, and so the event was was very cool because we spent the entire evening just listening to your thoughts and your opinions on this news and and uh, picking your brain on it. And I would love we would love to do that again. So we are working on hosting another one of these va- events. We might be calling it KZRG Bump with the boys. Who knows? Working title. But if that keep an eye out for that, keep your ear to the ground for that. We'd love to see you and get your thoughts on everything that's going on in this crazy world. Keep an eye out for that. You can also watch us on Facebook Live. We're there every single morning from 6 to 9. And remember, if you ever miss anything on the Morning News Watch, you can always catch it right here with Plot Summary at News Talk KZRG.